Mohammed Sakani, I worked uh, years ago as a server at Chicago's legendary steakhouse, Gibson's. And one night, he was wonderfully surprised. He had the privilege of serving a table uh, where the actor Johnny Depp of Pirates of the Caribbean fame was sitting. But that wasn't the big surprise. What surprised him even more was that Depp and his guests, uh, after the night, or I should say the morning, and the wee hours of the morning, left him a generous tip of $4,000. What generous kindness. And as kind as that was, it's nothing, I believe, compared to the surprising kindness of our God to Ruth. You see, Alexander might have had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, but Ruth, in chapter 2, in a 24-hour period, she had a terrific, delightful, mind-blowing, exceptionally spectacular great day. This is what God does for these two widows, Naomi and Ruth, who had returned to Bethlehem from Moab. God, in a 24-hour period, demonstrates His faithfulness, His covenant faithfulness to them, and surprises them with abundant goodness. And I ask you today, do you need kindness? Not just a word or a gesture of kindness, but extraordinary kindness. I hope that today, that the Spirit will impress upon you the height, the depth, length, and breadth of God's kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. So let's look at this chapter in the three headings. Uh, the law of kindness, the display of kindness, and the why of kindness. So first of all, the law of kindness. In verse 1, uh, we're introduced to Boaz. He's a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. And we're told he's a worthy man, well, meaning that he's wealthy and a man of moral worth, of high reputation. But why mention him now? Well, it's almost as if the narrator of Ruth is telling us, look, you're going to be noticing Naomi and Ruth, and you'll see what they do to make ends meet, but I want you to keep your eye fixed on God. Now, he may not seem to have an explicit role. He may not be front and center uh, stage on, in this story. But you need to understand that he is present. He is present, sovereignly working through this man, Boaz. And through Boaz, who is the instrument of God, the needs of these widows will be met. So, what we find uh, is the beginning of the barley harvest. And in verse 2, Ruth asks Naomi to go out in the field and work and glean. Now, what is gleaning? Now, according to the law of God, you can see this in Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, uh, poor people, widows, could enter another person's uh, field right, and pick up what the reapers left behind, uh, what the reapers you know, let drop from their hands. They could also reap uh, the crop on the edge of the field, the margin of the field, because the reapers, according to God's law, were not, not to reap up to the very edge. That crop... That harvest crop was for the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. So this gleaning law was an expression of God's kindness and care for the needy. It's as if God was saying to Israel, I don't ever want you to forget that you too were strangers and needy at one time. Remember when you were in Egypt? I want everyone to know that this is the kind of God I am. I care for the poor, the underprivileged, the stranger, and the marginalized. And think about it. After uh, Naomi and Ruth's husbands died, 
They just couldn't go and get a job like women can today. No, they lived in a patriarchal society. And the main source of support, economic support, came through the man, the husband or the father. So without husbands, they were without the normal means to earn a living. And thus, they faced the prospect of poverty. So gleaning, indeed, was a kindness to Naomi and Ruth. And so, one particular day, Ruth goes out to pick up leftover grain so that she and Naomi can make bread and not starve to death. So you kind of imagine, you know, she's walking by some fields and she sees some men taking hold of the grain with one hand and then with a sickle in the other hand cutting toward the bottom. And these, these men would leave these bundles so that later on the women coming behind them would, would tie up these bundles into what's called sheaves. And after which, later on, the sheaves would be transported to the threshing floor where the grain was separated from the husk. So she's walking along and she selects a field. But why that field? And she, did she hear a voice telling her, go that way, see a sign? No. Notice that the text says in verse 3, she happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now you could ask the question, what do you mean, you know, Mr. Narrator, what do you mean happened? Because literally we can translate that as, as chance chanced, or in modern language, as luck would have it, she ended up in Boaz's field. Now, does a narrator believe in chance or luck? Of course not. He knows that nothing just happens in life. But he's pointing out in an ironical sort of way the divine perspective. See, although Ruth was clueless as to God's activity in her life, she ended up in the field of Boaz because God was directing her steps. God is running ahead of Ruth. He's preparing the way, making sure that she and Naomi will have everything they need. Look, this is so significant for us especially in this season of COVID-19, because when we have material financial need, when our lives are marked by uncertainties and anxieties, we are reminded here that God goes ahead of you and me. He has a faultless and predictable plan that He's working out for our good. So when you are tempted to despair, when you are tempted to be overcome with worry and fall into the pit, the pit of depression because you don't know how you're going to make it in the future. You remember this, that the God who calls you to Himself by grace and the God who loves you by His grace also holds your future in His hands and He is seven steps ahead of you. He's not ever saying, oops, so-and-so got away from me. No, He's not trying to catch up to your life. He goes before you seven steps and you're wondering, why seven steps? Well, you just think about that. And see, so what we find is God's going ahead of Ruth. And what is He going to do? Display His kindness, which takes us to the second point, the display of the kindness of God. And we see that particularly through Boaz. So Ruth works all morning, gleaning, and then Boaz, the owner of the field, just happens to show up. He notices Ruth and asks the foreman, whose young woman is this? In verse 5. Right, as if to say, look, where is she from? How does she fit in society? And the foreman answers in verses 6 and 7, well, she's that foreign woman who came back with Naomi from Moab. And she's been working here all day ever since the morning. She's only taken a break once. So Boaz approaches Ruth and surprising things begin to happen. He shows her kindness of all kinds. First of all, the kindness of acceptance in verse 8. You see, God's leaning law was clear. All right, this is what the owner of the field had to do. He had to allow these people to come in and glean. But it didn't mean he had to do it cheerfully. He, you know, they could have been very begrudging in their attitude. But here's Boaz, a Jewish man of high social status, telling this single poor immigrant woman, you see that in verse 8, you're welcome to stay here. 
You could stay in my field. As a matter of fact, don't go gleaning in other fields, which was something that was typically done. Think of this. Isn't this his way of saying, I accept you? I'm not going to reject you because you're a foreigner, a foreigner rather, or a poor. No, I want you to feel there's a place for you among the people of God. You know, as a church, we're learning how to welcome the poor and the needy and to say to them, look, there's a place for you among us. And some of you do this so well and you model it for us. Thank you. It says something about your character. I think of what Sinclair Ferguson wrote. He says, the real evidence of character and the ultimate test of maturity is not how someone reacts to the great, the famous, the rich, and the noble, but how that person responds to the marginalized, the unnoticed, the poor, the struggler, and the needy. Oh, that we would grow in this character trait of our kind God. And could we not learn to extend the kindness of acceptance in more ways, particularly in the way we speak of other nationalities? Look, I think of what's going on in this pandemic. Do you talk of the coronavirus or do you refer to the Chinese virus? Or do you speak of yellow peril? You know, there are people out there who do, who use this language. And our Asian American brothers and sisters tell us that this language not only incites fear and racism, but it's also demeaning. It speaks of rejection of them whom God has accepted in Christ Jesus. So how can you and I display the kindness acceptance of those who are racially different from us or economically different from us? All the way we come to grow in that acceptance is by remembering how God has accepted us in the gospel. You see, at one time we were also impoverished in our sin. We were outsiders and strangers to God, worthy of rejection. Yet through Jesus' death, His humble death and rejection at the cross for us, we are accepted. See, by grace in Christ we were accepted, and by the same grace we can welcome and provide a place for the Ruths that come into our lives. So are there Ruths around you to whom you can extend kindness? So we see that God through Boaz displays gracious acceptance, but also He expresses protection in verses 9, 15, and 16. As a young single woman, Ruth was exposed to danger, to verbal or physical abuse from those working in the field. That's why Naomi talks in verse 22, he talks about uh, Ruth not being assaulted. But once again, we see how God expresses his kindness. And through Boaz, he gives explicit instruction to the young women. In verse 9, Boaz tells a young man, uh, do not touch Ruth. Verse 15, don't reproach her. Verse 16, don't rebuke her. I find it interesting that the word reproach can also be translated to shame or humiliate. And isn't that simply amazing that God is concerned and seeks to protect you from being unnecessarily humiliated and embarrassed? This is your God. Providing protection to the defenseless and vulnerable. So to you who are involved in speaking to the women at the abortion clinics with a longing to protect the unborn, to you who help protect men, women, and children, particularly caught up in human trafficking, Press on to express God's kindness to them in this way. And let us learn to do this because Christ died to protect us from the eternal consequences of our sin and from the shame of our sin. 
And because this same Christ who died for us was raised from the dead and exalted as exalted Redeemer, He intercedes for our protection. And we have a glimpse of that in John 17, verse 15, where Jesus, in His high priestly prayer, says, Father, keep them from the evil one. Stuart Holden was an evangelical minister in the Church of England many years ago. He was a much sought-after preacher, and uh, he was invited to go to this conference in the United States. And so he was preparing to take a trip to North America. He had a steamship ticket, a first-class passage on this ship to the United States. But shortly before uh, he left, his wife had taken ill, and and she was in the hospital, so he dared not leave his wife. So on the day before the trip, and the ship was scheduled to leave, he canceled. Now, did I tell you that that was April 9th of 1912? And that the ship was the Titanic that sunk a few days later, the ship that he was to be on? Holden understood that he was protected by the kindness of God. He kept that ticket and he framed it. And on the frame he added verse 4 of Psalm 103. It's a phrase, Who redeems my life from destruction? You and I have been redeemed from destruction. We have tasted the protection of our God. So I urge you who have tasted it to extend it to others. Ruth also received the kindness of of provision. Verses 9, 14 to 17. In verse 9, Boaz says, When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Look, apparently, it seemed like Boaz and other owners of the field didn't have the requirement to give access to water to those who glean, but he gives her access to water that others have drawn. Verse 14 Boaz invites her to eat with him and the reapers. He says, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. Here's a Gentile woman eating with Jews. And then it says, he passed to her roasted grain. So here's this rich Jewish man serving a Moabite woman. And he serves her so much food that she is satisfied. And she takes his doggy bag of leftover food for Naomi that evening. Ah, but there's more. Because after mealtime, they go back to gleaning. Now, you need to know this. Normally, one could glean only the part of the field that the reapers had finished harvesting. So the, the reapers were no longer there. But Boaz tells the young men in verses 15 and 16, No, I want you to allow her to glean in the field where you are actively reaping. Before you finish, you allow her there. Allow her to glean from the sheaves that you gather. And purposefully drop some stalks for her. It's as if God is telling Boaz, hey, you, treat treat her kindly and give her as much provision as possible. I want her to know that this is the way that I deal with my children. In verse 17, after she finished gleaning and separated the grain from the stalks, she weighed out what she had and it came to about an ephah of barley, the text says. Now, if I were to give you an ephah of candy for you children, and Max, you're in the other room, um, would that be a lot? Would that be a little? Would you be happy? Would you be sad? Well, an ephah, in terms of weight, can range anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. So, imagine, Ruth is walking back home to Naomi, lugging a 30-pound sack of barley, several weeks' worth of grain for the average worker. 
And when Naomi saw Ruth that evening, she was so surprised. She says, where did you work today? Where did you glean? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Has God ever overwhelmed with you with so much, leaving you so surprised and utterly grateful? Years ago, when we lived in Spain, we were moving from Madrid to uh, southern Spain, to Malaga. And for, for months, I was looking for a rental house. We just, just couldn't find one. And then I started thinking, well, I guess we can try to buy a house. But then the real, reality was, who, who would even sell me a house? I could never get a loan. I'm a foreigner uh, in this country. Uh, I'm a pastor, missionary. Uh, banks don't understand what that is. You know, I have no money. Uh, so that's just not going to happen. And God, in His kindness, did what I could not have imagined. There was a bank that agreed to provide us a loan. And not only that, we received from a church here in the United States thousands of dollars that was enough money for a down payment. And then there was a Spanish family who agreed to uh, serve as guarantors of the loan, who co-signed for us. We were just overwhelmed. But it gets even better because five years later when we sold the house, God has provided abundantly. We had enough money from the sale of that house so that we could paste that mat money as a down payment for the house in which we live here in El Paso. Never did I ever think that it would be possible that I, on a missionary salary, would ever own a house. I said, no way. But God says, I will provide a way. Because God is saying, I want you to notice me and I want you to bless my name. But I asked myself, God, why did you show me so much kindness? And that's, that takes us to the third point. The why of kindness. In verse 10, Ruth and Naomi, or rather Ruth and Boaz are having this conversation and we find Ruth is uh, face down to the ground in front of Boaz. And she asks him the question, why have I found favor in your eyes? In other words, why are you being so kind to me? And we ask that same question, God, why are you so kind to me? You know, to answer that, We need to go back to chapter 1, verse 8. There, Naomi's prayer and wish for Orpah and Ruth at that moment was, May the Lord, Yahweh, deal kindly with you. And so here we are in chapter 2, and what we're finding is God is answering Naomi's prayer of chapter 1, verse 8. God is dealing kindly with Ruth. And remember that word that's translated kindly is the Hebrew word chesed, that word that describes His gracious, steadfast, loyal, merciful, faithful, super glue love. But here what I want you to understand today is that chesed occurs in the context of a covenant relationship. A relationship in which God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And in this relationship, God's people have an obligation to be faithful to Him, to love Him uh, by obeying His commandments and His laws. And, And God obligates Himself to be loyal and bring to fruition the blessings that He promises. Now, The question that surfaces is this. The truth is, we're all unfaithful in this covenant. So how is it that God will bless us? Surely you're not going to say, oh, okay, He's going to bless me because I've been occasionally obedient, because I'm selectively moral, I'm occasionally nice to people. 
No, what that deserves is the covenant curse. That was the other part of this covenant relationship, that unfaithfulness or disobedience would uh, merit the covenant curse. So why is it we don't receive the covenant curse? Why is it that we receive the blessing instead? Ah, it's because of this. Because God committed himself to bring the blessings of the covenant to his chosen, no matter what it would cost him personally. And cost him, it did. He became a man. He came in the person of Jesus the Christ, who at the very end of his life hung on a cross. And you remember the cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on at the cross? He was experiencing the covenant curse for us, the curse that our disobedience deserved. He received it so that we could receive the covenant blessing that He deserved, that He merited, but freely gave to you and to me. You see, my dear friends, God's kindness to Ruth and to us isn't merely human kindness. It is chesed kindness. Kindness in Christ in the context of a covenantal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you again, do you need kindness? Do you need kindness? In Christ Jesus, you and I who desperately need kindness, we don't get scraps of kindness. No one will ever be able to say, Lord, you know, I asked you. I asked you, God, for kindness. And you told me there was no more. You told me there was a shortage. You told me that you ran out. As we see, as we go to the stores in these days, that the shelves are empty and there's shortages of different kinds of food. No, no. In the shelves of the chesed of God are full in Christ Jesus. Take it today day, brothers and sisters, take it dear friend, and you will be accepted, you will be protected, you will be provided for, you will have the provision of the bread of life that satisfies. And if you have received this kindness of God that is for you in Christ, then let it be displayed through you to others. You know, last week I told you about the five missionaries to the Aka Indians in Ecuador back in the 1950s, where these missionaries were speared to death. And one of the murdered missionaries was Nate Saint. And he had a sister, Rachel, who years later went to live in the, in the jungles of Ecuador to proclaim, proclaim the gospel to the Akas. And as a result, God brought many of the Aka Indians to faith in Christ. And one man that came to faith was Minkaye. Minkaya was involved in the killing of these missionaries. Now I tell you this because just you know, last week, April 28th, Minkaya passed away. Now, when Rachel Saint died, the Wadani people, as they're now called, uh, asked her son Steve Saint to live with him. And he did. And he and Minkaya became the best of friends. And he even got to the point of calling Minkaya his adopted father. And people were shocked with Steve's attitude. You know, Steve and Minkaya, for years afterwards, uh, they would go to various conferences and speak uh, to churches. Uh, and, and people would ask him, Steve, how can you do that? How can you accept and protect and provide for this man who killed your father? But isn't that what chesed kindness does? It is surprising 
generous, abundant, blood-soaked kindness to undeserving people so that the world notices God and blesses His great name. So go and do the same for the glory of His name.